Stu Does America. Welcome to the program. Today is Stu Does America from a part of America that is not used to winter weather. Yes, I'm in Texas. And when you're in Texas, basically what happens is everybody kind of freaks out whenever you get uh, the slightest bit of uh, cold water that uh, hits the ground or comes from the sky. So we have like one centimeter of ice currently and everything's sort of closing down for the day. So I'm home uh, live from my wife's very, very feminine podcast studio here. Lisa Page made me do it, sponsoring the program today. And what's interesting, I guess, about this is uh, when you have a state like Texas, uh, people just aren't prepared for this stuff. I mean, we're in the Northeast where you drive in pretty much everything. Uh, that's where I, where I was brought up. Down here, it does not like that. So whatever. We're doing the show from home today. You can deal with it. we got lots of great stuff coming up. Uh, really interesting stuff on Ron DeSantis is on the way. And of course, you can subscribe as well at blazetv.com slash do promo code is Stu, you get 10% off your subscription. We'd really appreciate it if you do that. I want to, um, we're doing conspiracy theories today and kind of, I want to get into this, uh, this whole Nancy Pelosi video thing because it's an interesting case study on what happens with the media and how all this stuff kind of filters through the media and gets pushed onto conservatives and what can conservatives can learn from this type of story because they're, it's, it's kind of an interesting one. We all remembered Nancy Pelosi uh, is away at the right before uh, all this uh, is going on. She's away uh, dealing with all of her campaigning and such. And her husband is attacked at the home. Lots of questions pop up from this. And some of them are really understandable. They wait a really long time to let the video out. They have conflicting excuses going back and forth as to what actually occurred, who was actually responsible, who this person was. We were told initially he was this right wing nut job. Then uh, we see his his place of lit, his place of residence, which is flooded with BLM flags and and uh, you know pride flags everywhere. Uh, you you see that he's been a, a nudist, which again, are there conservative nudists? Maybe there are. You know, maybe, maybe there are. I want to be naked and I want low taxes. Could be a big movement. I just haven't heard much about it, uh, so I don't know. Maybe it's out there. Um, but this story sort of went through a news cycle and it just seemed off. It really did. I think to a lot of a lot of people who typically would look at the media coverage a little skeptically, uh, it didn't seem right initially. Uh, they didn't release the video quickly. And that led to a place where there was sort of festering theories. We watched the video uh, with you on Friday. Uh, we don't need to go back and show the video of the salt again. It was, it was a pretty nasty incident, but it was also sort of the type of incident that was uh, initially uh, hinted at, and eventually the coverage got to. Uh, Paul Pelosi, he's home, someone breaks in from the back door, holds him hostage, he calls 911, I think quite clearly trying to signal to the 911 operator, uh, hey guys, uh, there's a guy that I don't know that broke into my house, and it's Nancy Pelosi's house, and I don't really know why he's here, but he wants me to hang up, and for whatever reason, the 911 operator just could not piece together what he was trying to do here, uh, basically to report this was going on. He eventually, the police do show up, and he is hit in the head with a hammer in a brutal, brutal attack. Uh, he, 
I mean, it's honestly shocking that the guy didn't die from this. Uh, and it, you know, you can hear really awful sounds of his gurgling blood and all these terrible things. Thankfully, the police did show up. Thankfully, this didn't get any worse. Um, but there was a the typical thing that, that happens afterward, which was everyone went back to try to find their enemy and blame them. Now, we're not blaming the attacker here. We're blaming conservative media personalities who uh, went down what appeared to be the wrong road after the fact. Um, now, the attacker themselves called into allegedly called in. We don't we can't we are not 100 percent confirmed that this was the attacker. But he called in, I guess, from prison uh, to you know make as menacing a message as possible available to the public. And I want you to give you this about a minute long to kind of listen to this, the mindset of this person who's obviously completely insane. What did you want to tell me? Um, now that you all have seen the body cam footage, I have an important message for everyone in America. You're welcome. Freedom uh, uh, liberty isn't dying, it's being killed systematically and deliberately. The people killing it have names and addresses. So I got their names and addresses so I could pay them a little visit and have a heart-to-heart chat about their bad behavior. The tree of liberty needs watering. We need men of valor, patriots willing to put their own lives on the line to stand in opposition to tyranny. I would also like to apologize. I want to apologize to everyone. I messed up. What I did was really bad. I'm so sorry I didn't get more of them. It's my own fault. No one else is to blame. I should have come better prepared. I spent all my time exposing government corruption online, only to have them silence my freedom of speech as quickly as they could. They circumvented the Constitution and private industry. When the grooming class outsources the repression of your civil rights to private industry, it's called fascism. I mean, it's a weird statement, right? It's like, it's very much, you could tell it's been written out in advance. It's uh, stated with pauses for maximum effect. I just want to say I'm sorry for not killing enough of them. Like, it's really like, I don't know, really a very strange, strange call. I don't know what to make of this. Look, the guy seemed like he at least at one point was very much on the left wing. Did he switch and become from radical left to radical right? I mean, stranger things have happened. We, we don't know. This is not something that you blame political ideology for, of course. This has nothing to do with low taxes. It has nothing to do with being pro-life, certainly, as you hit a, a hammer across the head of an old man. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but, of course, the people who are in the media, whose job it is to try to make conservatives look bad, try to jump on that right away. Adam Kinziger, the former uh, uh, now, uh, I mean, I guess he's employed by CNN, but unemployed as far as Congress goes, he said, thanks, Seattle Times. For this list of people who made fun of Paul Pelosi, hold them accountable. Now, what? How do you hold people accountable exactly? What, what do you do? What, what's the suggestion here? When when you have an opinion, or you have a segment that you you're making fun of somebody, and let's just say you're completely wrong. What what, what exactly would you do? Do we do we, we burn him at the stake? Do we just throw him in prison? What's what's the what's the accountability that is okay for an Adam Kinziger in this particular situation? Uh, I know he, you know, was how to get held accountable by being voted out of office, but you can't do that with media personalities, which, of course, is probably why Adam's now trying to be one. Uh, but I will say that this list was pretty ridiculous. It had, uh, and here's the, uh, this is from the Seattle Times. This is the big list that they had. And there's a bunch of names you'd be familiar with. If you zoom in really close, you see Megyn Kelly, you see Elon Musk, you see Tucker Carlson, and you see our own Glenn Beck. Yes, Glenn Beck. He apparently raised doubts about the details 
of the attack. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I, did he do that? I don't know. I mean, I can go back and I think you can listen to some segments and take some of them that way. I know Elon Musk, for example, tweeted a story saying that there might be more to this. Um, Megyn Kelly reportedly, according to this report, raised doubts that all the facts were disclosed. I mean, clearly all the facts were not disclosed. We didn't know everything. And we had conflicting reports. We had an NBC reporter who was suspended. We had other reports from a, a local, I believe it was a Fox station, saying that, you know, these guys were hanging out in their underwear. Well, that stuff seemed needed to be or seemed to be true, uh, but it was understandable. It was we were you know reporting stuff that we you know, that was being reported by mainstream news sources. You never see those sources get any heat for this stuff. It's always the conservative that repeats it that gets in trouble, which I, I think is really really fascinating. And I guess what they want to do is they want to call people like Glenn, like Elon Musk, like Megyn Kelly, like Tucker Carlson. They want to call them conspiracy theorists and. This conspiracy theory thing is an interesting thing to look at after an incident like this. There were people who jumped to conspiracy theories on this. There were people who went way too far, didn't question it. Questioning what Nancy Pelosi tells you is not a crime, okay? If you don't do it, you're probably insane or you're Nancy Pelosi herself. Of course you can question Nancy Pelosi. Jumping to nine layers of conspiracy theories can be a problem. And when you talk about being a conspiracy theorist, what does that even mean? If you're a person who looks at a news report, a couple of news reports, 10 news reports, and says, you know, there's something about this that doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem exactly uh, like they're telling the whole truth. There's a lot, a lot of evidence to kick that sort of instinct into motion. These things happen all the time. When News organizations, when the government is telling, are constantly telling you things that are false or misleading or not complete truths, you're going to get people who hear a report and maybe start questioning it. Maybe their default position is questioning it. And all of this, none of, none of this stuff makes you a conspiracy theorist. Even if your default uh, place is to be maybe questioning of authority, questioning of the mainstream, questioning of the main narrative, that in and of itself does not make you a conspiracy theorist. The left wants you to believe that just asking some basic, honest questions makes you a conspiracy theorist. And they want to brand you with that because they know it's a damaging accusation. It makes you feel like you're out of the mainstream, it makes you feel crazy, it makes you feel defensive. And a lot of people, when they get in that defensive posture, don't handle those moments all that well. So how do you know what's the difference going on? If you're a person that just asks questions and you're asking them honestly, then you're not a conspiracy theorist. You're just someone who might be skeptical, uh, have a skeptical mindset. You may very well just be a person who has noticed patterns and realized, hey, wait a minute, they keep doing this one thing. This might be another example of it. The difference between a person who is skeptical, maybe in, in a healthy way, and someone who is a conspiracy theorist is what happens to you when evidence comes out. If you have a, a claim that you, you know people call you a conspiracy theorist on, if there's something that you're saying all the time that people say you're wrong on, it's important to step back and say, because I don't want to be like the left. The left never questions their own thoughts. I want to be able to be accountable, at the very least, to myself. And so what I want to say is, it, what is the evidence that could disprove my theory? What is the evidence that could come out and, and make me believe the opposite? If you can't come up with anything, you might be a conspiracy theorist. I don't want to sound like Jeff Foxworthy here, but you might be 
a conspiracy theorist. If evidence continually keeps coming out, disproving what you believe, and yet you stick to those things anyway, then yeah, you might be a conspiracy theorist. There are people all over the, think of the, think of socialism, for example, the defenders of socialism. No matter how many times we see socialism tried, how many times it is tried and tried and tried and tried, and how many times it fails and fails and fails and fails and ends in the deaths of uh, numbers that have multiple commas in them, no matter how many times this occurs, these people somehow find a way that it just wasn't tried right. You know what? This piece of evidence is wrong. This is a lie. This is a lie. And there's no piece of evidence that will ever disprove the thesis. If that's you on something like Nancy Pelosi, you see the video and you say, well, actually, it's not. It's still true because of X, Y and Z. Then you might be bordering on this. We saw the same thing happen with uh, the DeMar Hamlin situation. We joked about this with Jeff Fisher uh, last week where people were saying, wait a minute. He keeps showing up to these events, but he never shows his face. What's going on? Is this even DeMar Hamlin? Is he alive? What's going on? Is he in terrible shape? And we went through this, you know, some of the accusations online from uh, our friend Jeffy. And, you know, we went through all this and it was understandable to say this is a little weird. This guy keeps showing up, covering his face. He keeps getting pictures taken of him with his face covered. Uh, he was behind glass and really couldn't be seen at the big moment at the Bills game. What's going on with DeMar Hamlin? And then this weekend, DeMar Hamlin came out and, and did this. I can't tell you how appreciative I am of all the love, all the support, and everything that's just been coming in my way. What happened to me on Monday Night Football, I feel is a direct example of God using me as a vessel to share my passion and my love directly from my heart uh, with the entire world. Now, this guy just seems like a great dude, and I, I, I'm really happy that he's doing better, and I hope he makes a full recovery. We all do. Even people who were questioning the whole thing this whole time, they still want him out there, and they were rooting for him as well. But when he comes out and talks, when all of his friends are on the team are saying, yeah, no, that was him. I understand it was kind of weird, but that was him. Can you accept that evidence? Can you say, okay, well, all right, I guess DeMar Hamlin was okay. Uh, if you can't, then, you know, the conspiracy theory might, uh, label might be right for you. If you can, well, then that's not a conspiracy theory. That's just asking honest questions. And that's the key here. Are the questions honest? You know, Alex Jones is sort of the uh, kingpin of the conspiracy theorist world. I think he probably would wear that as a badge of honor at some level. And he'd say a lot of his things have turned out to be right. You might believe a lot of them are right. Um, but, you know, What's happened over and over again with Alex Jones and what got him in trouble with all these lawsuits is him sort of saying things that, honestly, we had enough evidence to say were not the case. You know, Sandy Hook really was a shooting. It was a terrible, terrible incident. These parents suffered. The kids suffered. It was a terrible, terrible story. And at some point, he, even Alex Jones has come along uh, to that viewpoint. Um, and, you know, look, Alex has had a rough life. Uh, you know, I was listening to Joe Rogan the other day. He described... Alex Jones history and why he maybe goes down these roads a little too far sometimes. If you haven't heard the clip, here it is. He's not a bad guy. No, he, I mean, just, no, he, he had a psychotic break. Yeah. But Alex Jones got dumped on his head when he was in high school. He's speaking about getting bullied in high school. Yeah. This guy picked him up and pile-drived him, slammed hey, him I on heard... the concrete on his head. Ah, I mean, 
they go on and on and on the details of this incident. It seems like it was really, really rough. And Joe Rogan's friends with Alex uh, and says that just sometimes he gets maybe a little too far on certain substances, maybe a little too far uh, down uh, certain conspiracy roads. And it's hard for him to find to find you know a foundation in the truth. It doesn't make him a bad guy. It just makes him maybe somebody who has suffered through some really traumatic incidents was the case that uh, Rogan was was making. And I think what's important to kind of find these lines for yourself is because we are about to enter into a time where you're not going to be able to trust anything. We did this big monologue on chat GPT um, that, uh, you know, kind of went viral online because we did an entire monologue, talked about chat GPT, made the case against it. And then I told you, hey, by the way, chat GPT wrote this entire monologue. I didn't make one. It wasn't my reasons. These weren't my arguments. These were the arguments from AI about AI to real people. And this is going to be happening more and more. It's really going to be happening in the written word. It's going to start happening in photos. You're seeing all these very really realistic photos being made by uh, AI, not by an artist who has talent, but just by someone saying, like, show me Joe Biden. Um, doing the uh, Mambo number five. And then it just happens. And you get 50 versions of it in 10 seconds. And it's like, more and more, this is going to be used, not just for the fun uses that they so far have kind of been the way, post stuff on social media and stuff. We're talking about something being used for nefarious purposes. What happens when that video comes out and it looks real? You're going to have to find a source that you can trust. And right now our media is doing such a terrible job that no one can seem to trust it at all. You know, you're seeing a, a real break in trust. Glenn's talked about this a lot on radio, where this disillusion of trust, and we're getting to this point where we're not going to be able to trust anything. And while we can look at a lot of things, especially through COVID, where you could say, wait a minute, there's been all sorts of problems. They told us X, Y, and Z, and that stuff wasn't true. We, we don't want to go all the way the other way either and say, well, all doctors are wrong about everything. There's got to be some middle ground there. We have to be able to decipher between truth and conspiracy. You know, past performance is not indicative of future results. If you have a theory that, you've, that you were questioning about and you were right, it doesn't mean that every crazy conspiracy theory is always going to be right from now on. I think most people understand that, but we are, you know, you're not most people. Now, if you're watching The Blaze, you're listening to talk radio, you're reading extensively on these topics, you're not normal. Embrace it. You're weird. Weird people focus on these issues and care about them. Everyone else watches the Kardashians. Those are normal people these days. You're the weird one. And it's not. It's going to be up to you and other people who actually care about this stuff to be able to help others decipher what is true and what isn't. It's going to get harder and harder to pull this off. And I think you have to go back and look at it and say, it's really healthy to be skeptical of authority. It's healthy to be skeptical of the news, as long as it's done in good faith. And you see that the left doesn't do that. They just shoot down stuff all the time with no reasoning whatsoever. We have to be better than that. I think we are, but we have to keep that in our movement, because if we don't keep that in our movement, it's not going to exist anywhere. All right. Well, there is the slightest bit of ice on the roads here in Texas, which means the entire state is shut down. So I am uh, home here at my wife's very feminine podcast studio 
Uh, and I want to thank Stanley Kurtz for popping in uh, here because we've got to get to the bottom of this DeSantis issue. Uh, Stanley Kurtz is a senior fellow for Ethics and Pub Public Policy Center and a contributing editor for National Review. His latest article, AP Teacher's Guide Proves DeSantis Right in African-American Studies Clash from National Review. We're going to tweet out a link to that here in just a bit. Because Stanley, if I'm not mistaken, this whole controversy uh, with DeSantis and this course in particular, you were the first one to get your hands on it and actually see what was inside. Uh, can you kind of walk us through how that happened and what you found? Well, that's right, Stu. Uh, last September, I managed to get my hands on a copy of the curriculum of this pilot AP African-American Studies course. This is uh, part of the AP program. The College Board runs it. The College Board is the group that runs the SAT tests and all of the advanced placement tests. And they decided to test run a new course called AP African-American Studies. And we know that the so-called studies programs in higher education, African-American studies, Latino studies, women's studies, gender studies, environmental studies, queer studies, every kind of studies, they tend to be the most political programs. They're not particularly scholarly. They are really trying to create uh, activists in a movement. So I got a hold of a copy of this uh, curriculum uh, quite some time ago, and I saw that it was overwhelmingly radical, particularly in the last quarter. Uh, they had a tremendous number of readings by uh, Marxists, really literal Marxists, like-minded Marxists, and nothing to balance that. And I don't mind, in principle, uh, some readings from radicals if you put in some conventional liberal Democrats and conservatives at the same time so that students understand the range of public opinion. But there was nothing like that. It really was just, um, uh, was just pure activist socialism, honestly, the last quarter of the course, that is. So I wrote about this. And uh, of course, the mainstream media ignored it. And uh, even friendly sources uh, could only do but so much because they had to rely on my word alone. Uh, the college board insisted on keeping this curriculum secret, so no one could judge as to whether I'd been accurate or not. But uh, when Governor DeSantis in Florida uh, decided to say no to this course, uh, I also obtained that letter that he sent to the college board and broke the news of that first. And that set off a firestorm. And um, at that point, uh, people demanded to see the course. Well, the college board still wouldn't show the curriculum, but it was leaked to um, a small newspaper in Florida, which published the curriculum. And now everyone can see it. And uh, I haven't seen a lot of people claiming that it's not uh, focused on socialist activism in the last quarter. I've seen them falsely accusing Governor DeSantis of being against the teaching of African-American history altogether, which is absolutely false, absolutely not true. Uh, but the, the course itself is extremely biased, very radical, and um, the left is glossing over that fact. Yeah, first of all, Stanley, thank you so much for actually doing this, because you're right, No, nobody was even asking the questions as to what was in this course. And you really, I think, got the ball rolling to make all of this happen. So first of all, thank you for your hard work on that. And secondly, like you looked at all of this, this, it's not just, you know, they hide behind this idea of debate, right? Well, we, we're just 
presenting these other viewpoints. And it's it's okay for kids to learn. And I should point out, I'm fine with them learning the stuff that's out there. I, I want students to understand that there's all sorts of different viewpoints. And I want them to be able to look at some of these more radical viewpoints and be able to say, hey, this is wrong and here's why it's wrong. Um, this, though, goes really, really far. This is not presenting a debate and, and hits on some real hardcore revolutionary left-wing figures. Can you kind of go walk us through what the course shows and who it studies? Well, again, the key problem is in the last quarter of the course. And in the last quarter, well, they do have a couple of units that talk about um, the classic core civil rights movement. Most of the units are about much more radical uh, cases than that. And again, in a very unbalanced way. So they begin with the writings of Franz Fanon, uh, the uh, notorious theorist uh, of um, colonial revolution. Now, we can well understand why Fanon's idea that you ought to have a violent revolution against a colonist might be uh, arguable. After all, we had uh, a revolution against uh, our own colonial empire. But Fanon goes further and talks about the sort of psychologically cleansing power of violence. And then the course focuses on the way in which this radical Franz Fanon was received by American radicals in the 60s, like Malcolm X and the Black Panther Party. And they came to argue that American blacks were the equivalent of a colony inside the United States, and therefore were entitled to use violence in the same way that uh, Africans throwing off colonial empires were entitled to use violence. And from there, the course moves into straight out socialist agitation, really, and uh, has a number of articles, some of them taking off from the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, some of them taking off from the history of um, black studies in our universities, because the first courses in black studies were actually uh, pushed by the Black Panther Party as part of a radical revolutionary program. So under the guise of examining history, the course really conveys the message again and again, we must go back to the Marxist radicalism of the 60s. We must return to that in order to overthrow capitalism, but to do so in a way that is focused on race. It's sort of a neo-Marxism which instead of focusing only on class, focuses equally on race. But the basic pattern of thinking is openly Marxist. And that does seem to be the new direction here, combining all of this together to push a lot of these same ideas we've been seeing for decades and decades. Um, is there any other explanation than straight out they're trying to slip in indoctrination into middle, in the middle of this course and pass it off as legitimate? Is there something on their side that makes any sense as to why this stuff would be represented in this course? I honestly haven't heard it, really. They, uh, almost all of the uh, material that's coming from the left side of this so-called debate uh, misrepresents DeSantis as uh, trying to censor uh, the study of uh, Black history in the United States. It couldn't be further from the truth because the Stop Woke Act the bill uh, that DeSantis, DeSantis um, sponsored and signed 
to prevent the teaching of critical race theory actually mandates the teaching of African-American history, mandates the teaching of slavery. It uh, mandates the teaching of oppression and discrimination and the efforts to overcome all of that in the United States. So literally, Florida has mandated the teaching of Black history, but the other side ignores all that and falsely portrays DeSantis as trying to censor Black history as a whole, rather than address the specifics of what's in the curriculum, uh, because they know that it's true. And you'll notice that the college board has now promised to deliver a new curriculum on Wednesday, which they are pretending in a way that is, lacks all credibility, had nothing to do with DeSantis that they planned it all along. It makes no sense whatsoever. This is a two-year pilot course, and we're only through the first half of the first year. How can you come out with the, the uh, final version of your course, which is supposed to be based on the feedback from the pilot program, when you've only gone halfway through the first year? So it's obviously utter nonsense that this has nothing to do with DeSantis, but what you're not seeing Despite all the articles in the media, what you are not seeing are deep articles on the front page of the New York Times and Washington Post explaining how wonderful and unbiased this curriculum is and how unfair the conservative criticisms are. Nope, you're not seeing any of that. You're seeing silence on the front pages of the Times and the Post and the College Board promising to come out with a new curriculum within a week of DeSantis's decision and pretending that it has nothing to do with DeSantis. It's nonsense. But it's also, I think, a backdoor admission that there are problems with this curriculum. Yeah, it's really revealing, too, because, Stanley, they can't talk about DeSantis enough. All they want, every single thing this guy does is front page news whenever they can come up with a critique of it. And here, their lips are just sealed. That's right. Again and again, they uh, berate DeSantis for supposedly censoring African-American history, when again, his own bill says that you must teach African-American history. But when it comes to a real um, discussion, and this is the kind of thing the New York Times loves to publish uh, deep articles on that, that uh, cover you know, two pages inside the paper, uh, and, and we've heard nothing. And so it's clear to me that they know perfectly well that the content of this curriculum is completely biased. Uh, In fact, I actually... Go ahead. I'm sorry, I was just going to say, on top of all that, in, 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 in what I've written, I've written several articles on this, and going back to September, one of the key authors of the curriculum has himself written an article which says that Black studies should be political that it should not be uh, unbiased like traditional academic disciplines, and that it should urge students to destroy capitalism. This is in writing by, and on the internet on his own webpage, by uh, one of the key authors of the curriculum. Uh, it really, <laughs> uh, it's really amazing uh, when, you, <laughs> when you watch it all happen in real time. Um, uh, Stanley, when they have... With DeSantis in particular, how, how as conservatives should we look at DeSantis and his performance so far? I look at it, I think, from afar. I don't live in, in Florida, but it seems uh, like he's doing a pretty good job addressing a lot of the right issues. Really, the only criticism I occasionally hear from conservatives is that DeSantis maybe gets a little too involved at a, government, at a, a state level 
um, and, and, and jumping into too many issues that are maybe top of the news cycle. How do you look at him overall and his performance in this particular issue? Overall, I am so impressed by DeSantis. And I, uh, as a writer on education matters, I follow his various initiatives. I agree with uh, 90, 95% of them. Uh, and every once in a while, I have a quibble. But on the whole, I think they're excellent, uh, creative, and but this goes way beyond the substance of these initiatives, which is, of course, tremendously important. In some ways, the most important thing. But actually, I think the most important thing is just the fact that DeSantis is fighting this fight. Why has it taken uh, decades for a Republican governor to start pushing back at the education establishment's control of our curriculum? Why has it taken 20 or 30 years? for a Republican governor to start appointing trustees to the boards of uh, institutions of higher education that will stop the creep of this ideological indoctrination. It hasn't happened. Instead, what governors traditionally do is to appoint their big donors who don't have particular expertise on higher education, who, to be crude, want to pass out football tickets to their friends and enjoy the prestige of the appointment. Yes, there's some trustees who take their job seriously, but I'm afraid that what I said is too true. And in the end, even these Republican appointed uh, boards become rubber stamps of the woke uh, educators. And when they try to lift a finger to say no, uh, the uh, administrators and faculty run circles around them because they don't know how colleges work. And DeSantis comes along and he appoints, lo and behold, a series of experts, conservative-leaning experts on education. Why hasn't this been done for 20 or 30 years? And this goes for all of his other initiatives. He is pushing back on things that Republicans haven't bothered to push back on. It is almost unbelievable that it hasn't happened up till now. And I certainly hope it spreads, but he gets immense credit, not just for the substance of what he does. And yeah, he overreaches a bit every once in a while, but the majority are very well thought out, very important. But the but the really important fact is that he's doing it at all. Yeah, that's very, very true. And, you know, I'm all for private schools, but if we're going to have public schools, the government's going to have to be involved in them. Why not do it right for once? And that seems to be what DeSantis is doing uh, and, and, and very much helps to you, helped uh, by you here, making sure that everybody knows about this issue. Stanley Kurtz, uh, his new article, uh, AP's Teacher's Guide to Approves DeSantis Right on African American Studies Clash. We'll, we'll try to uh, tweet out all the stuff that he's been doing because there's been a several articles on this topic alone. We'll get that out there for you. He's, of course, uh, from National Review. Stanley, thanks so much for coming on the program. I really appreciate your hard work. Dude, thanks so much for having me. One of the scary things about politics and life today is that most of the time I've spent talking about this stuff has been spent complaining about the courts and how annoying they are and how liberal they are. And I think in some ways the courts have improved. But the fact that really right now we are at the point where the courts seem to be the last line of defense between us and insanity over and over and over again. That's terrifying. That's, I, it's, 
it's it's shocking how much our other institutions have failed. And the fact that the courts are there as really the last line of defense is really a scary proposition. Um, we did get some positive results here um, in the Mark Howe case. He was a Catholic pro-life activist. We talked about it quite a bit. And the Biden administration was trying to get him under this ridiculous FACE Act, which basically talks about blocking um, uh, people from going into abortion clinics and other types of medical facilities. Uh, there was a skirmish there. The FACE Act prohibits violent, threatening, damaging, and obstructive conduct intended to injure, intimidate, or interfere with the right to seek, obtain, or provide reproductive health services. Uh, this was BS from the beginning, and some good news as a federal jury on Monday has acquitted uh, Catholic pro-life activist Mark Houck. So some good news coming in on that front, on that case that we've talked about as well. Now, not every law works so as well as the FACE Act. In fact, uh, California has more than 100, 100 gun laws. So why don't they stop more of these mass shootings? Now, we've talked about mass shootings a lot on the show. It's been something that we've talked about because I think it's one of the more frustrating problems that we face today. There's just not really an easy solution uh, to it. You're talking about random people uh, doing very random things. Many of them uh, have shown no signs previously of any illegal or um, you know mental health type of uh, issues. A lot of them have shown those issues and there are things we could do about those cases. It's just tough to stop. And certainly going from 400 million guns to 390 million guns is not going to make 400 million guns to 300 million guns. Let's just say you pull 300 or 100 million guns off the streets. What would that do? The answer to that, of course, is nothing. In California, they have over 100 gun laws. They have everything on the liberal wish list you could ever imagine. And yet over and over again, we're seeing these shootings occurring in California. I don't know. Does this disprove gun control completely? If not completely, it certainly does a good job uh, digging in to that argument from the left, which seems to me to be completely ridiculous. Another thing that's completely ridiculous is Ilan Omar. Now, Omar has been kicked off of these uh, these committees by Republicans in sort of an act of political uh, revenge. She's upset about it. Um, and by the way, I say revenge in the best possible way here. I'm not even criticizing it. The left did this to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene for no good reason. Uh, they said they didn't like what she said. Well, you know, I don't like what Ilan Omar says. So now she's out. That's how we're going to play. That's how this is going to happen. This is going to go on forever until one of these sides stops it. It's going to have to be the Democrats who stop it, honestly, because they were the ones who started it. Uh, that's the way this usually works, unfortunately, in politics. And I'm not at all surprised that Adam Schiff and Ilan Omar were kicked off of these committees. Well, of course, she's saying it's Islamophobia. She's saying they're not okay with Muslims having a voice, which is fascinating because she seems to understand what she considers racism against her. She's very familiar with it. She knows exactly how it works. And she'll tell you in detail how every single thing that happens that she doesn't like is because of racism. Well, let me show you now her talking about her actual comments that she made that were anti-Semitic. She just claims to have absolutely no knowledge about hatred towards these groups. Watch. I certainly did not or was not aware that the word hypnotized uh, was a trope. Um, I wasn't aware um, of, of the fact that there are tropes about Jews and money. Um, that has been a very enlightening uh, part of, of this journey. Um, to insinuate that I knowingly said these things when people have read into my comments to make it sound as if I have something against the Jewish community is so wrong.
allow me to express the slightest bit of skepticism over her claims. You're telling me, Ilan Omar, the person saying all this crap, living in a heavily uh, Muslim community her whole life, has never heard the trope about Jews and money. That's never, never crossed her desk. Not once. She said it a bunch of times herself, but she didn't know it was a trope, apparently. She has absolutely no credibility. No one could possibly believe what she's saying is true. Uh, you know, look, she had no credibility before. She's a, she's a joke. But the fact that she would come out and try to get people to believe she's just, I don't know, I'm just saying stuff. I'm just saying random combinations of words, and they happen to line up with every single stereotype about Jews that you can find uh, from the anti-Semitic uh, websites that I happen to have all in my favorites. Just absolutely unbelievable. But that, of course, is Elon Omar. So food inflation has been a big deal, hitting families all across the country. It's obviously been a huge problem for so many. Uh, however, uh, Axios wants you to know food inflation has slowed down last month, but the relief may not last. Now, what's interesting about this, and I can show you the chart here. It's fascinating because this is every Joe Biden catastrophe in one chart right here. Uh, we are uh, we've slightly improved um, off the worst numbers anyone's ever seen. And that's the Joe Biden story. He's slightly better than the worst anyone's ever seen. And of course, we should also note the worst anyone's ever seen was also Joe Biden. So he's slightly improved off of his own terrible standards. And that is, a, while an incredible accomplishment, doesn't exactly blow me away uh, for uh, the future of his particular party. Um, food costs are way up. I have a friend who has chickens in the back uh, and he's I mean, he's now a billionaire because he can get eggs and eggs are now apparently the most uh, expensive resource we can have. I don't know when we got to a country where eggs were really like this, but apparently that's where we are now. And, you know, you might not be able to eat foods like eggs soon because they'll be too expensive, but the crickets will be bountiful. You have as many crickets as you want. And you might think, well, crickets don't taste so good. Well, that's why they're developing flavor enhancing spoons and chopsticks. New types of cutlery can now enhance flavors such as sweetness or saltiness for a more satisfying meal. And while I don't want to eat crickets, I will say something that can make my food more delicious, I'm all for. I'm like basically a food scientist here. I'm out there arguing for you, testing foods every Friday for your delight, uh, delight, delightful uh, intake. Uh, so I think this is a positive thing. If I can get cutlery that makes my food taste better, I'm all in. I want to thank my wife, Lisa Page, for lending me her podcast studio as we are through the terrible weather here in Texas. Uh, it's going to be actually rough for a couple of days. We'll see how long we need to be home. Um, also want to say congratulations to America's team, the Philadelphia Eagles, going to the Super Bowl once again. Yes, very exciting against the Kansas City Chiefs. I am pumped up, as you may know. I will say, if I was a New York Giants fan or New York Jets fan, the fact that they were lighting up the Empire State Building in green and white would not make me happy. <laughs> I would not like that for my town, but I love the fact that it occurred because it shows the fantastic team the Philadelphia Eagles are and how they're winning everyone's hearts over to their side. So 
We'll have more on the Super Bowl coming up. We'll see you tomorrow.